conclusion inevitable. It was a jump to conclusions, Matt. My conclusion was that this idea was not a practical deterrent. My only conclusion can be that it was a Sith Lord. In conclusion. Hello there, folks. Welcome back to another episode of In Conclusion, the only podcast where when it goes 88 miles per hour, you see some serious shit. I am Dan O'Keefe, and joining me as always is Anna Otto. How are you doing, Anna? Dan, I'm high on life today. (laughs) Uh, And also joining us today is our special guest, another Anna, which definitely isn't going to be confusing throughout this episode at all. Anna Horst, how are you? Damn, this is heavy, Dan. I am ready for today. (laughs) Wait, I didn't say anything Back to the Future themed. Um... (laughs) I guess it's our density to be together. Okay, now I'm I'm with you. (laughs) Uh, In case anybody was wondering, Anna Otto is recording from a undisclosed location far away, while Anna Horst and I are recording about 15 feet away from each other on different computers. You love to see it. You love to see see it. (laughs) (laughs) And we're we're Skyping each other. Um, So, yes, the movie that we are talking about today is Back to the Future from 1985, the classic. You've all seen it. You all love it. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Um, Anna Otto, you are wearing a Back to the Future shirt and earrings. Yes. I was going to wear some Calvin Klein underwear, but I uh, thought that would be a little too far. So A little on the nose, a little on it the crotch. It wouldn't have been a too far. far. It's not Thank too you, far. Anna. Thank you. <laughs> um, do you, either of you remember the first time you saw it? Yes. Yep. Do tell. Anna, would you like to start since you're our guest? Sure. Um, I remember it was a big deal because it is my dad's favorite movie, and I believe that we just watched it at home, but it was just kind of like such a a big momentous thing to kind of just take it in, watching it with my dad. But um, yeah, I mean, it's still my favorite today, so. Mm-hmm. I saw it for the first time. I found it on VHS in our like movie cabinet in the hallway in my parents' house, and I was like, what's this? It's rated, I think it's rated PG. I don't know. I was, yeah, a PG. So I was like, I can watch this. And I think I asked my parents to help me set it up in the back bedroom so I could watch it. And they did. And then I watched it and I really, really liked it a lot and have not stopped really, really liking it even now. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember the first time I saw it. It was kind of like omnipresent in my childhood. I've seen it probably over a hundred times. Um, I have memories of coming home from things and walking in and my brothers were watching it on TV. Um, and I'm like, okay, well this, this makes sense. This is something normal that would happen in my life. (laughs) An excellent Um, choice on their behalf. But I watched it most recently yesterday night at a drive-in theater in Brookfield, Wisconsin, the Marcus Theater, they took one of their screens, put it outside, and projected it in the parking lot. You guys went to the drive-in? We did, yes. That's so fun. We watched it on our TV, normal, on Netflix. Boring. Mm -hmm. I I watched it while I was working. (laughs) 
and I took yep. lengthy notes because I wasn't sure what this podcast entailed. <laughs> That's okay. I took some lengthy notes too, girl. It started off like the first time I took notes for this podcast, it was like I was in college because yes. that's how mm-hmm. my notes were. I was writing very smart things and um, they didn't really translate. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> we'll see. And like I was in college, I did not take notes. Uh, so let's get into the movie. So it starts off in 1985, Hill Valley, California. You got Marty McFly that rapscallion that beautiful little and i do mean little man five foot four love of my life we're the same height oh. <laughs> played by michael j fox he goes into this i best i guess it's best described as a mad scientist's home there are just a ton of clocks everywhere a ocd amount of clocks i would say hello <laughs> <laughs> Uh, They are all perfectly synced up. He goes, and because it's the 80s, he plugs in his guitar to the world's largest amplifier, plays one chord, and then literally flies 15 feet back. When I was little, that scene always used to scare me because I didn't like how loud it was. I don't know why. Like, I'd always get really unnecessarily nervous. Mm -hmm. I mean, it goes goes from, like, silence to that so it's kind yeah. of yes. scary <laughs> mm-hmm. i think well, the first just too darn loud yes <gasps> i was listening i was listening to <laughs> huey lewis in the news all day today i love them chester usually sends me whenever he like works at their concerts or something he sends me videos because <laughs> he knows i love <laughs> huey lewis um so then marty gets a phone call from dr emmett brown who i guess marty is his assistant Uh, And he is asking him to show up to the Twin Pines Mall at 1.30 in the morning so he can show off his latest experiment, which, you know, it's the 80s. This is totally fine. A 17-year-old is working with a 60-year-old mad scientist showing up in the middle of the night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And his dog, Einstein. Don't forget Einstein. that's true. Um, But then Marty realizes... Well, he doesn't realize Doc tells him that the clocks are all exactly 35 minutes late, so he is late for school. So Marty skitches on the back of a car on his skateboard. The mo- As I watched this, I realized that Marty is the dream 80s character. I thought it was Ferris Bueller, but no, it's Marty McFly. No, throw Ferris Bueller out. Marty McFly is the love of my life. His style, I literally, in my notes, it just says, I love Marty. His style, his essence. <laughs> It's like a love a love letter to Michael J. Fox on my notes. The first draft of my notes actually got deleted, and I'm kind of glad that it did because it was probably a lot more embarrassing than this. <laughs> was it written like sonnets to Yeah, him? it was like, Michael J. Fox in 1985, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more righteous. Like, it was... <laughs> when I was watching it, I was kind of comparing like how his girlfriend was like reacting to him and like he's like perfect and I'm like stop like whining this man is the epitome of greatness and you don't even know <laughs> oh yeah when he's describing that date he's like we're gonna land on the stars two sleeping bags Gage is laughing at me because I was like and not sleep but you know they don't say that because it's a PG movie but I was like oh that date sounds so nice though camping for the summer it sounds beautiful Sure, camping sounds fun. I don't 
know. That's just what they said in the movie. They're talking about camping. Also, can we talk about Marty's dream car that he sees at the beginning of the movie? <laughs> the 4x4 four four Ford? It's ugly. I'm sorry. I watched it as like, that's your dream car? Okay. Let's, let's, yeah. Anyway. What, you don't want a black lifted miniature Ford pickup truck? God, it's so ugly. It's so ugly. You I don't want to not sleep floodlights on the top? <laughs> I do want to not sleep in it, but maybe not that specific car, you know? Oh, I shouldn't talk like that. My mom listens to this. Oh, well. Sorry, mom. <laughs> um, at one point after the Battle of the Bands audition, which we haven't mentioned yet, uh, when Marty and his girlfriend are walking through the town square two girls walk past and marty just like stares at them and his girlfriend just like grabs his head and turns it back to her and i'm like she is the most accepting girlfriend he was straight up ogling these girls walking past she was yeah. like no 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 back to me they, and i was like oh they don't act like teenagers like no, no. he's <laughs> ogling a other women and she's like no 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 me whereas a normal teenager would be like we're done we're through and he's describing this perfect date what teenage boy i mean dan you were a teenage boy once would you I have was, ever actually. thought to plan such a romantic and nice date like that when you were 17 i haven't thought to plan a romantic and nice date like that now oh sorry anna might be he gotta okay. get that Gage. four by four truck first <laughs> <laughs> you know honestly i think that if you and Gage got those four by four trucks anna and i would be much happier really <laughs> Um, so the part that we skipped over is that Marty goes to school. He gets yelled at by the bald principal, who's also from Top Gun, uh, who is a terrible man. He's like, you're a slacker just like your father. That's why you're not going to amount to anything, which I think amounts to tough love in the 80s. I think that was actually a pep talk. It's um, just child abuse. <laughs> <laughs> like, I shouldn't be laughing saying those words, but haha, I guess. <laughs> I can't wait for somebody to take it out of context with you laughing, going, that's just child abuse. Oh, no, don't meme me. Please don't meme me. Thank you. You're going to get canceled. Oh, um, crap. Hashtag so, Anna Otto is over party. Yes. <laughs> we met Marty's girlfriend. She's very nice. She's very cute. Um, she exists in this movie only for Marty to have a girlfriend. Her style is impeccable. I love Jennifer. Okay. That's Absolutely. also my notes. <laughs> and as they do a battle of the bands marty and his band they go to the battle of the bands audition um, where they play a heavy version of the power of love instrumental but marty walks into this battle of bands the rest of his band is there the pinheads they were probably rehearsing or something he rolls in like he's hot shit picks up his guitar and just goes directly to the microphone like yo it's my time to shine right now Dan, he is hot shit. Also, you know that's you know that's Huey Lewis. That's the the judge, right? Yes. yes. And fun trivia fact: his line was improvised. Oh, even better. I'm iconic. sorry, you're just too darn loud. Iconic. Right. I also love that they are the pinheads because it doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> no. Where did they get this from? <laughs> Every time we were when. So Gage and I watch all the movies together, so that's why I always mention him a lot, and because I can't escape his presence. And um, we were watching it, and every time a band was shown in this movie, Gage goes, look, it's the news! <laughs> it's Huey Lewis in the news, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, so then Marty and Jennifer, they go, they're walking around the town square. They 
get accosted by old ladies who are trying to raise money to save the clock tower because in 1955, on this day, lightning struck the clock tower, keeping it at exactly, I think it was 10.04 10.04, p.m. yep. And they give him a flyer to which Jennifer writes her grandmother's phone number on it and an I love you message because she's staying with her grandma for the night. Um, what a sweet woman. Mm-hmm. We love and Jennifer. Then Marty ends up going back home where we meet his sad sack mother who looks like if you were trying to draw a picture of the word depression and the words unhappy marriage, you'd just come up with her. And her father... His father, sorry, who is... I don't think Crispin Glover was acting. What do you think about Crispin Glover in this movie? Okay, I love Crispin Glover. I think he is a good actor. I love him in What's Eating Gilbert Grape as the mm-hmm. mortician. So that's what I always think of, because like they're kind of the same. And yeah. um, I, I literally wrote in my notes that he's wormy. Like, when Biff who's a skis bag in every single way, but that's why he's such a good villain. Mm-hmm. Um, when Biff is like razzing him, he just, he looks greasy and pathetic and wormy at the beginning of the mm-hmm. movie. So, do, I mean, everyone in the family, except for Marty really kind of gives off that pathetic and sad vibe. Like his siblings who kind of are only there so that he has more time before he is erased from history in the movie. And um, his mom, who's clearly it's never said but she's an alcoholic like obviously and um i mean alcoholism is a disease and i'm not saying that people who are alcoholics are necessarily pathetic and slimy and wormy but you know what i mean like they're trying to give that illusion that she's sad and pathetic same with um his dad who just has no backbone he has no spine. I'm mm-hmm. surprised that he can sit up. Yeah, for real. And they even kind of show that because he's always slouching. Yeah, he is mm-hmm. always slouching. Also, I wrote in my notes, oh my God, their voices, can they stop? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah They're warmy. so his... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's warmy. That's perfect, yeah. yeah. That was when I knew I would spend the rest of my life with your father. As she pours herself more vodka, just straight. Yeah, and as George McFly is just going, ah, 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 oh ah, god, ah, ah, while watching the honeymooners. Yes, that's how and I laugh. Eating a I'm... bowl of peanut brittle. I also laugh while eating bowls of peanut brittle and watching the honeymooners. <laughs> um, fun. I have another trivia fact. I don't know if this is true or not. I pulled these from the recesses of the internet, but apparently, that's kind of how Crispin Glover just acts. So at the end of the movie, when they are acting like normal people, mm-hmm. they had to take a lot of direction for that. And for the rest of it, it was like, okay, this is just him. Yeah. Like I said, in What's Eating Gilbert Grape, he's the exact same way. Like, he's just kind of a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then time passes. No, I'm sorry. I completely skipped over Biff. Then we meet Biff. Biff. Who is a person, a man. He's so terrible, and that's what I love about him. Like, he's such Mm -hmm. a good villain. It's the same thing as Gaston in Beauty and the Beast. He's such a good villain because he's a real person that you can find. Yes. And that's what makes him scary. I know probably, like, ten people from my high school who that might be who they turn into. Oh, yeah. I don't know Come over and all. Yeah. 
what a comb over. Uh, and he's having George, who is his underling at whatever company he works for, write his reports for him. And then he needs, Biff needs them back to rewrite in his own handwriting. Um, he he tells Marty to say hi to, say hi to your mother for me. Um, and then he leaves. Biff is just the, the, we see him as the biggest villain. He's like a, a villainous used car salesman in a, is he a used car salesman? I don't know what his job is. I, I don't think it's ever really said, except for the fact that Marty's dad works for him. Like, yeah. it's more clear at the end of the film what his job is, but we don't know whether or not he has that same job at the beginning or not. It kind of seems like they're doing something with car insurance. Like, he was just kind of saying, like, you have to pay for this. Like, you gave me this car. It was, yeah, not yeah. totally specific. Something like that. Because, yeah, because he goes on about how, why didn't you tell me your car had a blind spot? Well, all cars have blind spots. Babe, yeah, have you so. ever been in a car before? Literally. Have you ever driven in your life? But, mm-hmm. yeah. Um. So then we go on. It is later in the night. Marty is asleep on the bed in a position that I don't think okay. is humanly possible. Gage sleeps like that, and they both look like they are hit by trucks. Like, I told Gage, I was like, I paused the movie. I was like, this is how you sleep. You look like you were run over by a car. And so does Marty. Is Gage okay? Honestly, who's to say? No, I thought I that was you. just a fictional thing that no one sleeps like that. I guess it's because, like, otherwise your arm gets, I don't know. I sleep, like, curled up in a ball, so I really don't know. His face is, like, slammed onto the side of the pillow. His ass is up in the air. Yeah. But his hips are shifted as far over as they can go. Mm -hmm. It's like he's trying to fit into a hole in a wall. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was almost... he can't. It was almost as if Robert Zemeckis went into the scene and went, okay... Throw yourself on the bed and hold whatever position you land. Like, don't don't tense yourself. Just loosely fall on the bed. And then later in the movie, we see that's how he always sleeps. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because when we come back, he's asleep in the exact same position. Ugh. Oh, boy. Um, so he gets a call from Doc to come over to the mall, the Twin Pines Mall, where we see that Doc has souped up a DeLorean... Uh, a beautiful stainless steel car to be a time machine. Ride in yes. style. Ride in style, baby. Mm-hmm. And he puts his dog Einstein in the car. They have synced up watches. Doc turns to Marty when he goes, when this thing hits 88, you're going to see some serious shit. They drive the car directly at them. If it didn't hit 88, they would have seen some serious shit. It would have been God. Yeah, for real. <laughs> and the car disappears right as it hits them because it travels through time. Uh, I will say, just touching on that, it looks pretty good, like, from a CGI standpoint. For the 80s, it's not bad. The only effects that they really had was just they had to overlay the the fire on the ground Mm -hmm. with them. And you can notice it, but it looks totally fine. Yeah. Um, Marty is also filming all of this on a camcorder. Um. So Einstein comes back. He's perfectly fine. The car is cold. Yes. And Marty goes, what, is it hot? Marty, it's covered in ice. (laughs) The car. I don't know. That line always gets me. I'm like, no, you dummy. The car is not hot. But. And then we see that the flux capacitor, which is the thing that makes time travel happen, is powered by 
plutonium. Ba, ba, it needs ba. a nuclear reaction. Um, and I bet you're wondering, Doc, how did you get this plutonium? Well, he was hired by some Libyan terrorists to build a bomb for them. He took the plutonium and instead gave them a bomb casing filled with old pinball machine parts. I want to know how they... Who wrote that line? I know it was Robert Zemeckis who wrote it. But what events in his life caused him to come up with that sequence of events? I feel like he rolled some word dice. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay, so uh, how are we going to get rid of the Libyans? Are we going to roll this dice, roll this dice? Okay, it says, fake bomb. Okay, roll it again. Filled with pinball parts. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Also, we very much just villainized all Libyans from now on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. It's yeah. A, when I think of, this is bad, but when I think of Libyans, first I think of Libya and the Libya, yes. Libyan Revolution and Muammar Gaddafi. And then I think of Back to the Future, because yes. I don't know anything else about Libya, Libya except that they had that green flag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. somehow Doc Brown managed to get in contact with them. Yeah. With the Libyans driving a, a VW bus, they the Libyans come up, they find him, they shoot Doc Brown. He's lying there dead. Marty sees all this. He hops into the DeLorean. He gets in. He rides away. He drives. He goes, let's see if these bastards can do 90, completely forgetting what he learned literally four minutes ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. Marty would be dead a million times over in this movie, though, if people either hadn't run out of bullets or were better shots. Yeah. You know, yes. like he literally gets away from the Libyans because he doesn't they don't have any more bullets. And then they pull out like this rocket launcher, but they never shoot it at him. <laughs> it just makes me laugh every time. I'm like, he would be so dead if this was real life. Uh, the Libyans can't do 90 because Marty hits 88. He goes back in time, barely missing the photo hut in the parking lot of the Twin Pines Mall instead of the Libyan van hits it. And he ends up driving into a van, or not a van, into a barn and (laughs) stopping. I don't know why I thought that was a van. Nope. Um, And Anna Horst, you grew up around farms. Rate the farm. Oh, they seemed very Amish. (laughs) At first, I was like, wait, did they go even further back in time than I recall? No, this is just an old looking barn. I'm going to give it I'm going to give it a two out of five. Two out of five barns. Yeah. Is that your rate for the movie or just the farm? The farm. (laughs) There weren't enough dogs. Amen. (gasps) Yeah. Never enough dogs. Thank you. So the owners of the farm. They think that he's a spaceman because the Amish son is reading comic books. (laughs) I still think they're Amish. (laughs) (laughs) They shoot at him. Marty drives away. He apologizes. He runs over one of their pine trees. Bum-bum-bum. Foreshadowing. Bum-bum-bum. Future shadowing. And then he drives away. He tries to drive to his subdivision, the Lion's Estates, but it hasn't even been built yet. They just have the two gates at the edge of the entrance. And I'm like, why do they build the gates first? That seems like a the last thing to build. But whatever. He runs out of gas. He ends up pushing the car behind a billboard to hide the DeLorean. He tries to wave down this old couple who are driving down the road. The old woman 
is aghast she's at like seeing him. Really shook. Yeah, she's, she's screaming. Shook. Oh god! Well, don't slow down. Yeah, I'm like, I don't think I've ever been that afraid of a person walking down the street trying to hitchhike ever. You know, mm-hmm. I think she could have done with a. Let's keep going. I don't want to pick him up. But instead. (laughs) And then Marty sees that he is two miles out of Hill Valley. He goes into Hill Valley and we see for the first time 1955 Town Square. To the sound of Mr. Sandman. Yes. What were your two's thoughts on seeing that? What what did you feel in your heart? Oh, I love it. That's where I wanted to be. Besides the racism, that's where I wanted to be. Uh, whenever I watched this movie, there was a little diner by my grade school, um, called Furches, and it was like ice cream and, you know, fried food and whatever. And I used to walk there after school with my friends and we used to get in trouble a lot for being really loud because we were middle Mm -hmm. schoolers. But, um, I started craving that custard really bad while this scene was playing. I was like, you know what? I could really go for some Furches right now. Listen to some Elvis. They had the clock where Elvis's hips are shaking to keep the time. Yeah. <laughs> That's what that made me think of. Also, it made me think of how expensive the set dressing must have been. Having to go from making the whole town 1980s to making it 1950s to 1980s. It just looked expensive. I was like, mm-hmm. I cannot even fathom the amount of money that goes into making movies sometimes. It is the universal backlot, though. True. I've been there. Fun fact. Oh, really? Yes. Before or after it burned down? Uh, Before, I think? I don't know. Because there was a fire in 2008 on the back lot. Oh, it was after then. Definitely after. And then they rebuilt it. Yeah. Um, Marty stumbles into the corner diner. Uh, he has to use the phone. He finds Doc Brown's address. He goes out. He sits down at the bar, and he asks if he wants to order something. Anna Horst. Do you remember exactly what his order is? Oh, he wants a Pepsi free. <laughs> of course. <laughs> is this movie peak Pepsi? Because of Pepsi free? Is that why? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I mean, a Pepsi in the 80s was probably probably pretty cool. I want... I want, if we ever have merchandise for the show, yes. I want the only piece of merchandise to be a t-shirt and in plain white letters, a Pepsi in the 80s was probably pretty cool. <laughs> yes, I'm down for that. I will make that. I can make that happen. Okay. Yes. Um, and he ends up ordering a coffee, which doesn't have any sugar. And sitting next to him at the bar is his father, George McFly. I love this scene. I love, love, love this scene when mm-hmm. Biff walks in, hey, McFly, and they both are like this, and they turn, well, I guess you can't see that if you're listening to the podcast. They have their hand behind their head, <laughs> and they're, like, scratching and just hanging out, and they turn at the same time. Oh, I it just really, it makes my eyes feel good to watch it, mm-hmm. so <laughs> I just really like it. <laughs> Uh, so yes, he sees George McFly and then Biff and his goons walk in, 1950s Biff. Wait, one more thing to say. My favorite goon is the one wearing 3D glasses. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you know who played the goons? No, I don't. No. I'm scared well, now. So there's really only one goon that matters because there's Biff and then there's the 3D glasses guy. My favorite. Um, 
the other one, and then the guy who looks like a 50s greaser with all the dark hair and the, the dark eyebrows and the leather jacket and stuff. Yeah. That's Billy Zane from Titanic. What? That's Cal. It's not. That is Cal I'm from Titanic. Doing... I am on the Wikipedia page. Billy Zane plays Match. Match. What? I... I can't I'm, close my mouth. I'm looking I'm looking <laughs> it up because I like honestly don't know that I've really paid attention to what they look like so much besides like the chase scene. Oh my god. Oh why I'm looking at the picture right now. I am so shook because you know, I've seen I've seen this movie a million times. I never realized he just looks like a plain, like normal guy i mean i guess he is a plain normal guy except for the fact that he's uh-huh. you know famous but i'm just shooketh i'm shooketh i'm shooketh oh my god I, when i watched it last night i was half just staring at him during all the scenes where you could see the goose guys like it's billy you can tell once you know it's definitely him it looks exactly like him but that he does nothing to stand out the entire time. No, he doesn't. He's a background goon. He's not even yeah. my favorite goon. Oh my! He should have worn three D glasses. Yeah, and then I would have been like, "Wow, you know who's really standing out to me?" <laughs> Billy Zane. <laughs> <laughs> he is I'm... the most attractive, uh, um, in goon. goon. Yeah, I almost said Zune, like <laughs> <laughs> like the Microsoft Zune. Yes. <laughs> I would agree goon. with you on that. For sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rating all the goons by hotness. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually, George agrees to finish Biff's homework because he is still getting roughed up by him. Marty follows George around and follows him back to see him climbing up a tree with a pair of binoculars to stare into a woman's win a a teenage girl's window. Was this normal behavior in the fifties? I don't know. I really hope not, but I feel like it happens in other movies. Like I feel like this isn't the only movie where the lead character or one of the lead characters is a peeping tom. Yeah, I put a perv in my notes, but yeah, peeping <laughs> that works tom too. is probably Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a peeping Tom, like, that phrase probably originated around the 50s, so people were probably just, like, real horny and trying to trying to see some lady bits in the 50s. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, the sexual, what is it, the sexual liberation or something of yeah. the sexual, six, revolution. sexual revolution didn't happen until all those kids were a little bit older, so they were probably feeling a little rep- repressed. Yeah, George just wants to see some bobby socks. <laughs> yup. <laughs> Ankle? Ooh. Damn, Nikki, show me your bobbies. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mom, that's a joke. Anyway. So George falls out of the tree. He almost gets hit by a car. Marty tackles him out of the way and saves him, ends up getting hit by the car. George runs away. Marty gets knocked out. He then wakes up. It's dark. He hears his mother's voice. Marty says, oh, I've been having a terrible dream. And his mother goes... Well, it's okay. You're safe here in good old 1955. Lights come on. Very attractive 50s Lorraine. Oh, she's so pretty. So yes. pretty. Like, I feel I feel almost bad for saying that 
when she has, I mean, obviously in the beginning they're trying to make her look this way, but she looks so unattractive with all the wrinkles and all the sadness and stuff. And then they put her back in time and she's just so cute and so mm-hmm. full of life. And I just live and die for Lorraine. Also, I love the name Lorraine because of this movie anyway. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. I have a, a note here that for the ages of the actors, Crispin Glover is actually three years younger than Michael J. Fox. Really? Yeah, and the actress who played Lorraine, Leah Thompson, I think I read that she's nine days older than him. Days? Yeah, I think. Weird. Yeah. Yes, she is nine days older than Michael J. Fox. Nice. I mean, it's that's one of the things I think that's so cool about this movie is like, obviously, Michael J. Fox, so Marty... Um, George, Lorraine, and Biff are all like the same age. Those right. actors are mm-hmm. all so close in age, but um, Biff, Lorraine, and uh, George all have to also play somebody who's just so much more, so much older. It's just so cool to see the transition. And like for an actor to have to play those two different roles in the same movie is really challenging and cool. So, Lorraine is trying to have sex with her son. (laughs) That was my barfing sound, in case anyone was confused. She calls him Calvin Klein because that's what it says all over his underwear. Um, She continues to try to have sex with her son. And then they get called down for dinner. Marty stays for dinner where he sees his aunts and uncles, his uncle, Jailbird Joey, who is earlier in the movie, they had made a cake because his uncle was supposed to get out on parole, but he didn't. Uh, Joey is sitting in a playpen Covered by bars. Some, that's just a fun fun moment in the film. Mm-hmm. I think it's fun. Yeah. And the Lorraine's dad, who I do wonder if Marty had ever met his grandparents, because it seems like he does not know them at all. Yeah. I wonder, since he's the youngest, maybe if they died before he was born. Like, it mm-hmm. seems like his siblings are quite a bit older than him, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, he was maybe an accident or an afterthought. <laughs> Um, Marty, no, you're the best. (laughs) But also it's funny um, just mentioning his grandparents, his grandma and so many other people in the movie mentioned that he's wearing a life preserver and they're like, how long are you in port, Calvin? (laughs) Because I love that. Uh, And the, the dad of the family, he brings in the TV set where they're watching the honeymooner, honeymooners, um, Marty says that he's seen this one. It's a rerun. Everybody looks at him. What's a rerun? Nobody knows what it is. What are you talking about? It's brand new. And I felt it. I felt that line in my bones. I do believe that that child who said that line was from 1955. It, it was very, a very strong reading. Yes. With his little... He was wearing the Davy Crockett Yeah, cap. I was just going to say the same thing. as like with his raccoon hat. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Marty leaves. He goes, meets 50s Doc Brown, who is doing an experiment. And looks the exact same. Exactly the same. 30 years have not done anything to that man. He's an ageless figure. We don't know. Yes. They never say how old he is, do they? No. In the 80s? No. He's timeless. Timeless, baby. He does not have Einstein, though. That's the only thing. I lack the dog in the early He has a dog. Right, what? Little puppy. He has a little puppy. I thought it was Einstein. I was like, wait, is Einstein a 30-year-old dog? No, it's Copernicus oh, is his dog okay. in the 50s. Okay. It was a little puppy, and I was like, 
okay, something doesn't add up here. <laughs> Equally as cute, though. Yes. Marty eventually convinces him that he is from the 80s, but only after um, a lot of effort. The best line from the whole scene is, tell me, future boy, who's president in 1985? Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan? The actor? Who's vice president? Jerry Lewis? Yeah, that is a good one. <laughs> oh. Um, and they realize that they don't have enough power to get back to the future, roll credits, because they don't have any plutonium. I'm sure in the 1985, it's you just have to go to the corner drugstore and pick up some plutonium, but in the 50s, it's not that easy. Mm-hmm. The only way to get the 1.21, I'm going to say gigawatts, it's gigawatts. But it's per, it's the same as the gif jif, yes. except in this situation, I'm pro j sound, you know? Uh-huh. So if you are downloading a file, and it's a, a fairly large file, is it three gigabytes? Yes. <laughs> it is now. In this context, <laughs> yes. <laughs> How's dating Jage? You know, it's good. He's good. Jage is good. Um, and they realize that Marty still has the flyer that the... One might say the Marty Mick flyer. Oh. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Oh, Podcast is over. Boom. Thank you for listening, everyone. Yes. Come back next week where only Anna Horst is the guest. No. Yep. Anna Otto has been dropped into a volcano. Honestly, um, worth it. Bye. <laughs> they, he has the flyer where the light, it says that at 10.04, the lightning bolt will strike the clock tower. So they have a way to get back in time. They just need to time it exactly where they're going 88 miles an hour and they hit the wire and then boom. He can get sent back to the future, but that happens in a week. Uh, and Doc asks, you haven't done anything that would have changed the events of history, right? No, except that he's met his parents and made it so that they didn't meet. So now he has to go and get his parents to fall in love, which is kind of difficult because his mom wants to have sex with him. Ew, that... that. <laughs> Is a great plot line, but it skeeves me out at the same time. It's so skeevy. So Marty spends uh, uh, the most of the rest of the 50s trying to get George to ask Lorraine out. And, and every time he does, she falls more in love with Marty. Yeah, she's so into him. Like, the first time she goes up to him to be like, hey, my friend George is into you. She's, like, so excited to see him. She turns around and goes, Calvin, and slams back into her locker. <laughs> like, she's seen a ghost. I was like, my back hurts just hearing that. <laughs> oh, my God. She's so obsessed. With- Why are you so obsessed with me? Don't sue me, Mariah Carey. Thank you. <sighs> How do you two feel about her fits? Her her outfits. Oh. oh, her fit? Go ahead. Yeah. Well, geez, Lorraine, she's killing it with all of it. I would wear every outfit she's wearing. Also, like, I, I'm not not to spoil it, but like her dress for the dance. And that's then what I was gonna she, say. When she like takes off her little like sweater. Oh girl. That's what I was going to say. That dress is so cute. It's such a good color on her, but I will say in terms of style, I love her fit, but I'm much more of an eighties style. Cause I like mm. jeans a lot. Mm. <laughs> I like pants. <laughs> pants. Unlike most people. <laughs> um, so what happens is 
They go to the corner bar where all the kids are hanging out. George orders a milk chocolate and tries to get up the courage to ask Lorraine out. Um, she goes, wait a second. Don't I know you from somewhere? And my heart just drops for him. What a terror. You go to ask. You have all this confidence. You say that you're her density. Iconic. Mm -hmm. The stars have brought you together. And she goes, I recognize you. Don't we have science class together or something? Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. It's, I, man, high school's tough for everyone. Also, he's, like, really, you know, has no chance because, like, her two friends are, like, kind of gossiping in the back of the booth and they're, like, psyching him out even more, like. Props to him for even going up to her when she's with her friends. I can't even imagine. He had that chocolate milk energy. You're right. You're right. That chocolate milk energy really, really coursing through his veins. The last time that I ordered a glass of milk from a restaurant, do you understand how powerful I felt. So powerful, Dan. Hulking. I ordered a plain cheeseburger and a tall glass of milk. Oh, God. See, I was one of those kids that never had milk growing up, like, with meals. So I can't fathom the idea of... It doesn't quench my thirst. I'm still thirsty. Like, I can't picture sitting down to eat a burger and just having a milk with it. A milk. <laughs> was there water? What? Do you not say a milk? No, I don't know. No. Oh, <laughs> Just milk. Just milk. That's their new slogan. Instead of got milk. Got milk? Just milk. Just milk. So Biff walks in and his goons yelling for George to leave because he told me he doesn't want to see him around these parts again. Marty trips him. Ooh. With those high tops. And eventually they get into a fight. Marty socks Biff in the face and runs out of the uh, restaurant. Also, fun trivia fact, that is one of the only time that is not... Marty, the why can't I think of Michael J. Fox's name? That's not Michael J. Fox's fist who punches Biff. That is the original actor, Eric Stoltz. That's one of the three moments in the movie where he is still in it. Mm. I do have to say, I love... That is really... that. <laughs> Let me start over. That's interesting. I always think it's really funny because, um, you know, since Michael J. Fox is so small... They, like, kind of make a joke out of it for two seconds when Biff stands up and he's hulking over Marty. But then, like, two seconds later, you see him punching him. I don't know. It just it always is something that I think of. The juxtaposition of we're going to kind of laugh a little bit at how short he is. But also, he's a tough he's a tough dude for being such a small bean. Mighty Mouse. Yes. Mighty Fox. <laughs> I'll leave. I'm so sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, Marty then invents skateboarding. They have a chase where Marty leads it to the... He invents both skateboarding and sketching at the same time. It's amazing. There's... They... Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. They... He ends up leading Biff and the goons into driving into the largest truck of manure in the world. There's a family guy scene that spoofs that and because I'm human trash, I literally put it in my notes and then was like, don't talk about this during the podcast, Anna, but I'm going to talk about it. I think about it all the time because 
I remember watching every time I watch something and I see something else that I recognize, I get like unnecessarily hype. And the first time I saw that Family Guy episode, I was like, oh, they're spoofing back to the future. And I lost it. I lost it. And so vice versa. <laughs> I thought of it the other way this time. So Wait, so you watched it this time you went, they're spoofing Family Guy. No. Oh, my gosh. I am not that uncultured. No. I went, oh, Family Guy spoofed this. <laughs> so... Also about that scene, I don't know why I thought that like when they hit the manure that like Biff said like, oh, I hate manure or something like that. But apparently that's something that just my childhood self made up. I no, like I it. think actually what they do, I think that's in the second movie. Oh, okay. Where he says, I hate manure. I think it's sense. old Biff who says that. Oh, so maybe I'm not completely wrong. Okay. Okay. There you go. Still hope. Yeah, I think so. Um, so eventually... I'm going to blah, blah, blah here, but it ends up where Marty takes Lorraine to the school dance Mm -hmm. and he concocts a plan with George where Marty is going to get all touchy feely with his mother. And then George is going to be the hero, come in, save the day. And they, George and Lorraine fall in love, all happy endings. So they go and, Marty tries to get all touchy-feely, but then he discovers his mother both drinking and smoking, and he is absolutely aghast at that. Mm-hmm. And um, and she has been with some men, even though she says she hasn't, you know. Mm-hmm. This seven. isn't the first time she's parked before. No. Exactly. She's almost 18. Mm. It's, I mean, it's 1955. She should be married by I now. Know. <laughs> right. She, um, uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to keep going. I was you just going to say, uh, there's also my favorite, when I kiss you, it's like I'm kissing my brother. I like that line. Why does she know what kissing her brother is like? You know, the 50s, they were bored. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I thought you were going to go down the route of like, I have a younger brother and we weirdly kiss on the lips. <laughs> yeah, me and my non-existent brother because I'm an only child. Yep. No, can you? Oh. I will say, I have never kissed my brothers on the lips, so. Maybe you should give it a shot. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Edit that out. Edit that out. No, I'm going to repeat it. Damn, no. So somebody comes to save the day, but it is not George. Instead, it's Biff who pulls out Marty and the goons throw him in the band's trunk. Um, And the band eventually get marty out but the guitar player slices his hand open they were hot boxing so. in the car <laughs> i love that when they're hot boxing because i when i was little i never got that and now as an adult i'm watching i'm like oh they're smoking hella weed right now <laughs> yes they also say i don't want to be associated with any reefer smokers yeah i didn't know what that meant when i was young you know now i'm an adult i didn't notice that until this most recent viewing there's also some like racial slurs that get thrown around and i was watching it i was like oh i mean like it's the 50s i'm not excusing the behavior but i understand why it's in there but i'm also still horrified because i live in 2020 so Mm -hmm. um so biff i mean just tries to sexually assault lorraine i think maybe does sexually assault lorraine yeah which is terrifying Mm -hmm. Um, Again, George does come around. More reason why he's a scary villain, because he's a real person. Yes, absolutely. George does come around. He comes and he 
opens the door, expects to see Marty, sees Biff. Biff just tells him to turn around and leave. But George, seeing the distress that Lorraine is in, gets the confidence, socks Biff, knocks him to the ground, which is like in... This is a very specific reference, but there's an episode of The Fairly Odd Parents where there is, like, King Arthur. Um, I know exactly and, what you're going to reference. And he can never see during the whole thing. But then he gets a pair of glasses and he goes, I can see! Immediately, like, hulks up to become an Adonis and just goes, I can fight! And that's what happens here. Whenever Gage and I play D&D with our friends, um, if somebody dies and then they regain some of their hit points back and they're brought back to life, we go, I can see! I can fight! All the time. (laughs) So that's why I knew what you were talking about. So... Yes, George saves the day from Lorraine, but still they haven't kissed. The brothers are st- and sister are still fading out of existence. Uh, and the band can't play because the guitar player, he sliced his hand open. Good thing Marty's a guitar player and he can play. Hard cut to Marty playing Earth Angel with the band. Love that song. Uh, yeah, it's a great song. There is another guy who drags Lorraine away. At the dance. She cannot. The secret villain. She can't get a break. I don't understand. Why Why can she not just walk away? Can she yeah. not move? <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I was like, I know. Like, I'm not trying to victim blame. But can't she go, I don't want to dance with you. And walk away. Was that not allowed in the 50s? Somebody clarify well, This guy was me. like pulling her away. True. Too. True. True. He was just. And his laughter, it's creepy. He's a creep. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He seems like the school weirdo that nobody actually wanted to go to the dance with, and now he's just stealing other people's dates. <laughs> yeah. So eventually the two kiss, right as Marty is about to fade from existence. When they do, he perks back up immediately. He then sings Johnny Be Good and plays the guitar just like he's ringing a bell. The it's in- current... The 50s people do not enjoy it. They think the music is interesting. You might not be ready for it, but your kids are going to love it. Yes. yes, absolutely. And then he goes, he says goodbye to his mother. She's no longer trying to have sex with him, which is character development. What an arc. <laughs> what an arc. <laughs> he let's... goes into the town square where, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Up. I was going to say, let's also take a moment to remember that this movie, while it's amazing for many reasons, insinuates that uh chuck berry gets his music from a white boy right yes let's just touch on that i'm just gonna say that's not good not one of the redeeming qualities of this film chuck this is your cousin marvin marvin berry you know that new sound you're looking for well listen to to this this. and to quote john mulady let's take that away from them (laughs) yeah but that's just one thing i just felt like we should touch upon yeah there are some unfortunate implications yeah yes in the film again i'm not saying it's okay i'm just saying i i get that the times were different yes that was 35 years ago and people are i mean hopefully people are more aware of things Mm -hmm. but anyways marty goes into the town square where doc is setting up the experiment they say a heartfelt goodbye Marty slips a note into Doc's jacket, warning him of what is going to happen to him in 1985. Um, Doc finds the note 
in the jacket while the storm starts to pick up and starts ripping it up because it would affect the future too much. Sad. Sad, sad, sad. My little heart. And the wire gets disconnected from the top of the clock tower because a tree falls on it, which seems like it could have been prevented with a little bit of pre-planning. Yes. Some electrical tape, perhaps. A little bit of where the perhaps. trees are. <laughs> so Doc has to go up. As Marty is driving back and getting ready, he has to go up and plug the wire back in. And it's very exciting. He recreates the Harold Lloyd hanging from the clock image from, I think it's City Lights. I don't know, but they also have a clock that is somebody hanging off one of the hands at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. A brief moment of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. And there's a Kit Kat clock, which I have one of in my kitchen. Another brief moment of foreshadowing. Foreshadowing is that I'm a big nerd. <laughs> <laughs> the Doc, barely in time, gets everything all plugged in. As Marty drives past, the DeLorean dies because it is a crappy car. He eventually gets it started by hitting his head on the steering wheel. (laughs) Just in time, he drives down the street. He hits the wire right as the lightning strikes. He goes back to the future. Everything is seemingly fine. He goes back. It's back to the crapsack world of 1985 Town Square. Uh, trivia question. Do you know what movie is playing at the theater in 1985? Oh. It's not. It's a church. It's a church, and then there's also a movie theater. Oh. There is a movie play. Is it something having to do with time? No. Ah, darn. Okay. Well, no, it's a... Do you have a guess, Anna? No, Otto? no, no. Continue. I think you're giving... Or, I'm sorry, your screen name says, do you have a guess, Gage? No. <laughs> The movie is Orgy American Style. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> that was nasty. Well, isn't it right next to an adult like store? Yeah. Yeah. That I guess it makes sense. I don't want it to, but I guess it does. Yeah. Don't you love the eighties where small towns would have porno theaters in the middle of the town square? <laughs> <laughs> right next to the old church. Um so Marty tries to drive back, the car dies to the mall. Uh, so instead, he skateboards back. It's now the Lone Pine Mall because he did run over the pine tree. And he sees Doc get shot by the Libyans and he sees himself go back in time. He sees the Libyans crash into the photo hut. Marty runs over to Doc where Doc wakes up. He's wearing a bulletproof vest. He saved the note that Marty had for him. Very sweet, very touching. Um, then Marty goes back home. He apparently doesn't notice anything inside his home and he just falls asleep. And then he wakes up in the same stupid (laughs) position that he had fallen asleep in before. Having freshly been hit by a truck while trying to get into his bed. The Pepsi can on his nightstand is still there. Don't worry. The Pepsi free. Still just as cool. (laughs) (laughs) He wakes up and he goes out into the living room. And it's not the um, crappy living room of old. No, now it is a crappily designed very nice 80s living room, um, which looks like the word cocaine. Yeah. He sees his siblings sitting at the breakfast table with a a sitcom-level breakfast laid out for them. They're eating, like, fruits and vegetables. Oh, not fruits and vegetables, my bad. Fruits and eggs and toast as opposed to, like, one bowl of checks from before. <laughs> yeah. Not they even eat- regular checks, like store brand. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
His brother is in a suit instead of in a Burger King uniform. Marty's very confused. His parents come back in from their tennis game. His sister... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, the yuppiest of yuppies. Oh, yeah. His sister, who before was like, I'm never going to get a date. Now they're like, you got a call from Craig and also a guy named Greg or Dan or something. I can't keep all your boyfriends apart. (laughs) Dan, did you call her? Absolutely. Yep. I do not know her name. She looks like Velma, so I'm calling her Velma. (laughs) Okay, this is a tangent, but uh, have you seen Dead to Me on Netflix? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I always forget that I watch that show. Yes. Yeah, just because Velma from the Scooby-Doo movies is in it. Yeah, she's cute. She's a hottie. Mm -hmm. I I call her Hot Velma because she's just very attractive. Anyways, um... If Marty talks to his parents. They're like, are you sick? What happened? He says, wait, I thought I couldn't go up to the, the lake this weekend, which is his plan for the date, um, because the car is totaled. What car is totaled? Everybody is shocked. The, he goes out. He looks out. He's like, no, the car's fine. Biff is giving it a wax. Biff, who has now been completely emasculated, um, he works as – he still is a business owner, though. He still <laughs> runs a car detailing service. Mm-hmm. He's not, like, in bad shape. I mean, he has his own business, like you said. But he's yeah. just, now he's the wormy one because he probably is, he probably is a jerk to all his customers except for the McFlies because now he's all, for lack of a better term, whipped by George. Right. <laughs> yeah. He's also wearing a green Adidas tracksuit, and I don't know why that stood out to me so uh, much. I put that in my notes, too. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, honestly, he might be a sad, pathetic little waif now, but that suit is really speaking to me. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so if I wore a green Adidas tracksuit, your fashion would be through the I feel like I would be not loved anymore. I feel like you'd be really sweaty, but I feel like I'd support that look. I don't know, Anna, would you support the look? I would support it. Just because Biff wore it. Fair. <laughs> Just because it's an homage to this great film. Right. Um, we see that George's first novel has been delivered to their house, A Match Made in Space by George McFly, which begs the question, how did he make his money? That's his first novel. Yeah. My other question, um, how do they not like look at Marty and go, you're growing up to look like that guy we went to high school with for a little while. What's the, the one deal that, there? Yeah, and they, like, named him after Marty, who they knew in high school. Like, come <laughs> on now. <laughs> I guess maybe they thought his name was Calvin, but still, oh. I... That's one thing that I'm just like, why? Why? But... Boy, you're really growing up to look like that boy that I wanted to have sex with in high school. Wouldn't they, I wonder if that would cause some sort of weird, like, jealousy between the parents, but I guess they just don't remember, you know? I don't know. I feel like at my We don't age, see what they were like in the 60s. True. That is a good true. point. They, they could have been hotboxing, for all we know. Probably were. the Starlighters. <gasps> they probably were. <gasps> I got it. His dad sells drugs. <gasps> oh, my gosh. <laughs> George McFly moonlights as a weed dealer. <laughs> I believe it. Shook. Wow, that's the plot twist we didn't know we needed. So Marty goes out into the garage and he sees his dream car, the lifted 4x4 Ford with the floodlights on top. Ugly. Ugly. 
<laughs> his girlfriend comes out front, very looking very cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Doc appears, looking very futuristic now. He has a Mr. Fusion on top of his car. His clear tie is my favorite thing in the whole <laughs> world. I'm like, wow, that's that's clear fashion. tie, silver wrap around sunglasses. Yeah, I honestly wish this is how we dressed in 2015. I I did. You wore a clear tie. You were a senior in hey. high school, weren't you? Yeah, I was unstoppable. Oh boy. Oh boy. Um. And he's like, "What? What? What's happening, Doc? Marty, I need you to come back with me. Back to the future. What? We don't grow up to be like assholes or something. No, no. You two turn out to be fine. But it's your kids, Marty. Something has to be done about your kids." Classic. Classic. So Marty and Jennifer get in the car with him. They pull out of the driveway. Marty goes, Doc, you better back up. There's not enough road to hit 88. Um, And Doc says the immortal line, roads, where we're going, we don't need roads. And then what was... Comes a hover car. Yes. And then my ringtone from the first half of my college career swells. (laughs) And they fly directly into the camera. And if you watch the VHS tape, it says to be continued. If you watch any other version of it, roll credits. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yes, and that is Back to the Future. Love it. Love it with every fiber of my soul. <laughs> um, on the most recent rewatch, what are your thoughts on it? Either of you. Anna, why don't you go first? I realized that I hadn't seen it in quite a while, and like I thought about some of those things that I didn't catch, um, at like in some of my first watches and stuff as well. But um, I don't know. It's just I don't know. It's it's hard not to love. They set up the characters so well, and it's like I'm honestly so excited to watch the next two just to kind of like continue it again. Um, I think I also forgot to mention, so I actually saw a showing of Back to the Future at, um, what what is the theater downtown? Not the Oriental. Oh, uh, the Downer? Not Downer either. The Riverside? Riverside. And Christopher Lloyd was there, and he did a whole, like, spiel before the movie, and then he kind of did, like, a watch-along with everyone. That's so fun. So it kind of reminded me of, like, going back to that, like, I love Christopher Lloyd so much. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. Oh. I know more of the script than I realized. That's what I learned. Yeah. <laughs> I was quoting it. I sang it with the movie, which normally I hate when people do that, but I had to. Mm-hmm. And I could sense that um, the level of annoying that I was being was rising. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I realized while watching it that the very obvious undertones of Marty's mother wanting to have sex with him are much more obvious than I remember. Yeah. Yes. I was like, wow, this is not the subtext. This is the text. Mm-hmm. Also, um, I realized that there's a lot more product placement in this movie than I realized. Do you want a Pepsi? I think this is the reason I like Pepsi more than Coke. Maybe. I don't really care for Pepsi, but there's tons of Miller products. There's tons of, um, there's like a close up on some Goodyear tires. There's all the, Pepsi's the biggest one for sure. Mm -hmm. But like even at the beginning of the movie, uh, 
Biff goes, all you have is, like, I come over here and all you have for me is light beer and it's a Miller Light and there's, like, a, they're drinking MGDs at the dinner table when he goes back in time to the 50s and there's a Miller truck when he first arrives. Stuff like that. Are we sure the Hill Valley isn't Miller Valley? <gasps> Maybe. Maybe. Except not as, not as, uh, in the middle of a city. Uh, so random trivia about the movie. Obviously, this is one of the most well-known recastings. Originally, Michael J. Fox did not play Marty. It was Eric Stoltz because they had originally wanted Michael J. Fox, but he was busy shooting Family Ties. Eventually, they figured out a way where he would shoot Family Ties in the day and then Back to the Future at night. So he was working 20-hour days to film this and Family Ties at the same time. God bless him. Hero. What a hero. Yes. Um but Eric Stoltz is still in the movie, as previously mentioned. He is in it while the the punch to Biff's face. When Marty is driving the DeLorean and he has the mask down, that is also Eric Stoltz. And there's one other time. I'm trying to find where it says it. Um, I'm trying to. Uh, where is it? I don't know. I don't know. There's one other time in it. You know what? That kind of must but. suck for Eric, though, because, like, was he original? Like, he was casted, but then they're like, bye, we got this hottie. And then we're <laughs> <laughs> just done with him besides the punch. I feel like. Apparently. Oh, go ahead, Dan. Everybody didn't like him on set. Oh, okay. That's what He's I was going to say. He's very difficult to work with. Yeah. Um, he wanted everybody to call him Marty on set. Uh, I this is a story that I heard. I listened to a podcast about Scrubs, which also doubles as a podcast about the guy who played Turk, Donald Faison, telling the t- trivia that he knows about Back to the Future because it keeps coming up randomly. Okay. Um, and he said there's a story in the the making of book where uh, Christopher Lloyd, they had just replaced Eric Stoltz with Marty McFly. And Robert Zemeckis came up to Christopher Lloyd and he was like, hey, uh, just so you know, we had to replace Eric. We hired Michael J. Fox uh, and we had to fire Eric Stoltz. And he turned and he looked at Robert Zemeckis and went, who's Eric? I thought his name was Marty. I thought you just cast Marty as Marty. (laughs) God. Uh, I just could not. I could not deal with being on a set and having somebody be like call me by my character's name I'd be like no 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 (laughs) Uh, the original time travel mechanic was a nuked fridge instead of a DeLorean they would drop a nuclear bomb on a fridge Um, this was changed (laughs) because they didn't want kids climbing into their refrigerator that's fair because you can die if you're in your fridge (laughs) or the dryer or both yeah I think you could die in a DeLorean too. Well, yeah, yeah. But you can die of suffocation in the dryer and the fridge. Not that I know. I don't know. I think mm-hmm. that's true. My mom told me that. I'm gonna assume it's true. The script had trouble selling because they brought it to Columbia first, where they thought it wasn't raunchy enough. Uh, because this is when movies like Revenge of the Nerds and stuff oh, like yeah. that were coming out. And then they brought it to Disney, where it was too raunchy for them. Because they sh- say shit once? <laughs> I think it's the 
Lorraine wants to have sexual relations with her son. I guess. I'd assume it's because they say shit once. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then they brought it to Universal, and they had Steven Spielberg on as a producer, and that's how it got made. Another producer, Sid No, the head of Universal, Sid Sheinberg, didn't like the title Back to the Future. He wanted it renamed Spacemen from Mars. So... What does that have to do with anything? I have no idea. Like... He doesn't even say when he when Marty is visiting uh, George as an alien. He doesn't even say he's from Mars. He says he's Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan. Like he's. I, know. <laughs> I think the so, only reference to that is when I think the Amish kid I'm gonna call him yeah. like has mm-hmm. I think that comic book is about spacemen from Mars or something. Yes, I think so. Um, so Steven Spielberg wrote a note back and he said, "Sid." We were all very pleased by the note you sent. It gave us a big laugh. Please send us more fake names. Oh, my God. (laughs) Sometimes I think that working in the film business, you have to be mighty petty, you know? Yeah. Um, Other people considered to play Marty, John Cusack. Ralph Macchio from The Karate Kid. We do love. C. Thomas Howell. We love The Karate Kid. George Newbern, Charlie Sheen, and Johnny Depp. Charlie Sheen? Not on my watch. <laughs> That's your only note. Yeah. I just, I know people don't like him now for other reasons, but even before, I just don't like him as an actor. Okay. Like, I just find his acting style to be not appealing. And also, I don't think he's cute enough to be Marty. He always looks, gr- like, grumpy. Like, he's just this resting, angry face. And on Two mm-hmm. and a Half Men, too, I'm like, I just... It's not for me, dog. It's a no for me. I think they made the right choice. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. I think like he's um, he's like cynical or just like looks kind of like he's always has like a problem or is like grumpy. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Might have been the cocaine. Yeah, thing. maybe the cocaine. <laughs> maybe. Um, John Lithgow was the first choice for Doc Brown. I love John Lithgow. Other people considered James Wood, John Cleese, John Candy, Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, Gene Wilder, Eddie Murphy, Gene Hackman, Henry Winkler, Dudley Moore, Randy Quaid, Joe Piscopo, Robin Williams, Michael Keaton, Danny DeVito, and God's gift to sex itself, Jeff Goldblum. I'm sorry. When you said John Lithgow, I couldn't move past it because I love him so much as an actor. (laughs) Um, he would have been good in this. I think he has the same kind of energy. I think oh, yeah. it would have been a slightly different, but it still would have been totally good. Have you guys ever seen Third Rock from the Sun? Yeah. Oh, I love okay, Third yeah. Rock. Like, that's what I'm picturing is his performance there. I think it would mm-hmm. have been so cute. Considered for the role of Biff, Daniel Stern, Vincent D'Onofrio, and Tim Robbins from the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, interesting. Which I think is just because they're all tall. Yeah, I think they probably just wanted an overpowering what am i trying to say figure an overpowering like figure you know what i mean mhm and the studio wanted to cut the johnny b good scene to improve the pacing but apparently test audiences loved it so much that they had to keep it in interesting yeah is that actually michael j fox playing guitar or is it He's pantomiming it. He learned it, but he's not the one playing it. It's a guitar player. Okay. I was just curious because I didn't know. 
Do we know who sang it as well? Like, who was his voice? Oh, yeah. In the credits, it's credited to Marty McFly and the Starlighters. Get that out of my face. I'm not kidding. I saw that last night, and I was like, no way. Get Universal on the phone. That's cheap. (laughs) It's probably Drew Seeley, you know, the guy who uh, sang for Zac Efron in the first High School Musical movie. (laughs) Yes, he time-traveled back so he could sing in Back to the Future. Absolutely. Um, What's the best scene in the movie? And a stunned silence well, falls I, over the crowd. I want to let Anna go first because she's the guest. I don't want to jump right in. I know I have a bad habit of jumping in and cutting people off, so I'm trying to leave room for our guest. <laughs> I, no, 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 you're good. I, I'm like honestly having a hard time because I feel like I have two. I love the scene where it's kind of like the introduction to Doc in like mm-hmm. in the in the past where he's, you know, he makes the Reagan joke yeah. and things like that it's you're just kind of getting to know him and he's just being crazy um or i do love the scene where it's that introduction to the diner and it's both marty and his dad because yeah the cinematography is like really interesting so probably one of those mm-hmm. two for no reason other than because i think it's funny i really love the scene where marty dresses up in the suit and visits his dad and plays van halen and tells him he's darth vader it just makes me laugh yeah i love that scene <laughs> I think for me, it's either the 50s Mr. Sandman introduction, either that or the there's like a five second thing of it is George walking his bike and then Marty is sprinting after him and George just goes, why do you keep following me? <laughs> yeah, that is good. <laughs> I also love when um, he's talking to George and Marty goes, come on, dad, dad, daddy-o. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes me laugh. Um, is there, um, which actor is really just given their all, given too much in their performance? Too much. Too much, Crispin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> goon number three. Yes. <gasps> oh. Wait, so is goon number three not Billy Zane and not 3D? It's the other the one? The other ugly one, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I love Christopher Lloyd so much in this movie. He's my favorite. I mean, Uh it's hard to not say Michael J. Fox, but I'll give it to Christopher Lloyd. I love Michael J. Fox, um, but I still got to say that Biff, Lorraine, and George, for me, they have to work Mm -hmm. the most because they're essentially playing two different characters in one movie. I guess not even that. It's just having to play the kid version of your character and then go on and play the adult version is just such a trick to me that I think it shows um, a lot of skill from those three actors to be able, even if your character is a bully, both as a kid, as an adult, but then when they come back, Biff isn't the bully anymore. And Lorraine and George are now like kind of not bullies, but you know what I mean? Like they're just these changes and they're, altogether showing three different characters and i think that's really tough and really impressive right mm-hmm. it's george for me yeah it's his laugh <laughs> oh, that's no. the whole thing there's no sound comes out when he laughs it's like he's choking on a frog that is also <laughs> trying to rib it in his throat Ew. <laughs> oh god oh god um 
how would this be different if it was made today? I mean, obviously we have the the usual CGI, but how would the the pacing or character work, or would it be set in 1990? Because that's what the time difference is now. Could this even be made today? I would think it would be really interesting to see what they predict the future as. So that's more of a that's more of a number two question. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It would. I almost feel like people would be weirded out if they went back to what it would be the 90s right it would be 1990 if they made it in 2020 right i don't know because there wouldn't be that much of a drastic change i guess i agree i feel like things wouldn't be as stark of a contrast um Mm -hmm. i feel like well maybe for like i mean he was 17 if you sent it today 17 year old back into 1990 it'd probably be that stark of a contrast like we weren't alive in the 90s but we were a lot we were around close enough that the things from the 90s that were popular kind of bled into when we would have memories wait what do you mean we weren't alive in the 90s we no, were all we alive, were alive in, the in the 90s i mean like we weren't making memories in the 90s necessarily like speak for yourself dan do you remember what life was like when you were three? Oh, uh, do i oh boy i don't no i don't yeah but you know what i mean like i feel like Though we were alive in the 90s, the things we actually remember would have bled over more into the thousands when we can remember. So setting us back wouldn't be so exciting. Like, I think I would personally be really excited about, um, I don't know, my parents wore a lot of windbreakers in the 90s. (laughs) Yep, windbreaker time. Mm -hmm. I'd just be excited about Will Smith's rap career. (gasps) Yes, yes. And also, wait, no, that's the thousands, the purple and green ketchup. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um would this movie be better, worse, or not much different if Jonathan Taylor Thomas played Michael J. Fox's character? He was Marty McFly. Dan, I was emotionally and mentally par- preparing for this question all week. And I I don't know, Dan. I don't know that I could do that replacement for once because I just really like Michael J. Fox in this role. I mean, also, this would have been before JTT was born, but uh, mm-hmm. I just, I don't think, I don't think I could switch him out for once in my life. So, you couldn't have teenage JTT. Let's just ignore the whole, he yeah, can time he's travel. Time Let's just say that. Yeah. We get 17-year-old JTT mm-hmm. playing 17-year-old Marty McFly. Mm-hmm. They're the same size. I know. Yeah. Well, actually, JTT is an inch taller. Not that I know. <laughs> that, that doesn't fit. That doesn't fit with my mental picture. No. I don't believe He's it. He's 5'5". Five five. No. Yeah. I cannot believe that Jonathan Taylor Thomas is taller than Michael J. Fox. Just an inch. Barely even notice. We love a short man that. in this household, okay? We do. <laughs> but, I don't know. Anna, who's your favorite actor? Oh, like of all time? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I like see like if you're putting it as a like a favorite and based on attractiveness it's probably Chris Evans and I just oh. love him. <laughs> but that's not going to work here. So Could Chris Evans play Biff? No. No, he'd be like here's a puppy. I'm sorry I hit you. Yeah, pretty much. He'd be one of the goons maybe. Yeah, he could be a good goon. He'd look like He could be Billy Zane. Yeah, probably. Mhm. But yeah, I don't know. I, I'm fine with their casting. I love the casting. 
Fair. I think it would be better if Jimmy Stewart played Doc Brown. I was thinking the same thing. I honestly would love to see it. I would love to see it. Tell me, future boy. Yes. Who's president in 1985? Ronald Reagan, my friend? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what movie does this remind you of the most that is not the sequels? Dan, I didn't know this was going to be a question. I would have prepared better. <laughs> <laughs> this one's always a little hard. It for is. For me. Yeah. I'm trying to... This is a difficult one because it has parts of a ton of different movies, but there's nothing that's like, oh, it's just like... Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it also inspired a lot of stuff. Like, I would I would mm-hmm. venture to say, like, there's other time-traveling movies now, whether they're serious or not, that probably gain some of their inspiration from this movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only one that's coming think... to mind right now is Hot Tub Time Machine, yes. which I've never seen, <laughs> but... <laughs> the one that it reminds me of the most is one that it definitely directly inspired. It's a 2000... For I think Brendan Fraser movie called Blast from the Past, where Brendan Fraser and Christopher Walken and Brendan Fraser is the kid, and then Christopher Walken and another actress um, is are his parents. They lock themselves in a nuclear bunker in the fifty in the sixties, early sixties, um, because they think nuclear war is happening, and they end up coming out in two thousand one or whatever. Mm. So it's a reverse of what this is. It's, yeah. I don't remember if it's a good movie or not, but it's interesting. Yeah. It's Definitely um, something. It's something. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to come up with anything. Yeah, I feel like... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, you go. I was going to say, I feel like this is a pretty standalone film, generally. Mm-hmm. Aside from, of course, part two and part three. Yeah. And the ride. Yeah, I never got to go on the ride. They had these shirts at Universal, but you could only get them after going on the E.T. ride. That's depressing. Sorry, um, <laughs> I didn't mean to depress anyone. They replaced it They replaced it with the Simpsons ride, which is pretty fun, too. So okay. don't worry, everyone. I checked it out. It's still really fun. <laughs> I checked it out in both California and Florida because I'm trash, so don't worry. <laughs> Anna, is there anything that we missed in your notes? Your very detailed notes. Um, I was going to mention what it could remind me of or what it kind of okay. reminds me of. Um, you mentioned Third Rock from the Sun. It kind of, there are some parts of it like have that weird like, you know, we were from a different time, from a different place kind of feeling to it that that reminds me of it. I mean, it's not a movie, but... So. I kind of, mm-hmm. when you mentioned that, it just made me picture Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing Marty McFly. Yes. But, like, with his long Third Rock from the Sun hair. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they had remade Back to the Future, it would have need to have been in, like, 2001 with John Lithgow and Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Doc and Marty. I stand. I, I love yeah, that. Yeah, I stand, too. Yeah, that's good. Yar. Uh, that wraps it up for Back to the Future. Thank you for being here, Anna. Oh, you're so very welcome. Yay!
Yay. You'll be back next week when I'm we clapping. talk about Back to the Future Part 2, Electric Boogaloo. Um, until then, everybody have a good week. Stay safe. Have fun. Thanks, Anna Otto, for being here as always. Thank you, Dan, for having me as always. If you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at Dan O'Keefe 86. If you want to find the show on Twitter, it's at and in conclusion. Anna Horst, where can they find you? At Anna Horst on Twitter. And Anna Otto. Yeah, um, on Instagram, it's uh, at Autobots818. Oh my gosh. Let me start over. On Instagram, it's at Autobots818. And on, uh, oh my gosh, no, it's not. On Instagram, it's Atomus Prime 818 <laughs> And on Twitter, it's Autobots Roll Out, capital O, capital B, capital R, and then the O in Roll is a zero, and out the O is a zero on Twitter. Oh, my favorite American tradition. It takes so long. <laughs> I have to pull it up every Thank time. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of In Conclusion. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, Gage, we're going to start soon, so can you complain quieter, please?